Well, without further ado, I'm going to introduce our amazing guest speaker today. Uh, <laughs> my wife is looking at me like I'm crazy. Christy, can you come up? Can you guys give my wife a big hand? <laughs> Pastor Christy. Uh, I always say she's, she's the better one. I just get to like follow in her footsteps. But uh, let me, I just want to say this as she's up here. I was reading this last night. You had already gone to sleep. And, uh, <laughs> ooh, it's the fire. It's the fire. Um, I, I just, I think it's important that we hear these words. David Wagner prophesied these words over Christy um, back on September 8th of this year. He's going to be back here at the conference. It's going to be fun. But this is what he said. He said, Christy, I saw the Lord standing in front of you at a hibachi table. And he was doing all the cool things with the knives and all the little tricks that they do. And he was entertaining you, but he was also feeding you. And then he brought you to the other side of the table and he said, I want you to cook with me. And I've anointed you to nourish the body. I've anointed you to feed my people. For the prophet word in you is about to exercise the power of God through you. There is an electricity of the Spirit of God that flows through you because you have made yourself a conduit of character. And just about the time people thought they figured you out, something changed. For I have kept a part of you for the mystery. You are going to see miracles, but you are going to know mystery. You are going to see healings, but you are going to know mystery. He says, and Lord, I thank you for the mystery of heaven that Christy carries. So we just say thank you, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that that she carries that mystery. I thank you for the mystery that she's going to release today. Lord, the the understanding that's going to be released from your kingdom. And I thank you that... That this is, she has that, that word of prophecy into this church that it is going to feed the body. Lord, I thank you for your words. I thank you for her heart. Lord, the many, many, many hours in the mornings and the evenings and throughout the day that she spends on her knees before you. And Lord, I thank you that you have, have just filled her heart with so much to share. Lord, I thank you that she shares your word, your truth today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Oh, I'm on. I am on. Thank you. Well, good morning, you guys. Okay. We're going to wake up even though it's snowing, right? I like to talk to you guys, and I love it when you talk back. You know that, right? You got to talk back. Can you hear me okay? We didn't test this out ahead of time. Are we good? So-so? Yeah, we're good? Okay, good. Um, Thank you, amazing husband, for that sweet introduction. Oh, All right, that's fun. That's my daughter's water. She took her gum wrapper and she coated the top of the lid so that we would know that it wasn't mine. (laughs) There we go, we'll go with this one. Uh, (laughs) Don't you love family? I love family. Family makes things exciting, right? And that's what we have coming. If you, like Mike said, Wednesday begins the official start of the Kingdom Family Gathering. We have been gathering as a family for a very long time, right? We are doing family here every weekend, every weekday. It feels like many of us are here throughout the week. So we're um, 
we're just so blessed to have this sort of celebration that we get to do in a bigger way on um, starting Wednesday. So please join us. Um, would you just pray with me real quick? And just, Lord, we thank you that um, whatever you want to send forth, that your word's going to go forth, that it's going to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds, and our spirit, Lord. We thank you for that this morning. We just come humbly to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I feel like I need to just preface to you that I'm speaking this morning, and I felt like the Lord say, I'm speaking to your mind, and I'm also speaking more to your heart. So as you're listening, if you can engage your heart in that place where um, let some of those walls come down, some of those preconceptions come down, and let your heart be open to hear what the Lord has to share with us today, okay? Okay. All right. We got to wake up, you guys. All right, let's start with the picture. If you have the picture of the sailboat, if you could put that up. There's a word that um, the Lord gave me last week, and it has to do with a sailboat. Did anybody hear it last week? Anybody? And we might remember. Pictures always help us remember, so that's why we're going this way. So on a sailboat, um, am I reverbing? I am. Do I need to move somewhere else? No? Um, there's different, there's, there's a couple main things that take a boat on its course. And this back fin that you see coming out the back of the boat is called the rudder. And in a small boat, someone speaks, sits back there and moves it side to side, and it turns the front of the boat left to right. But at the center of the board, boat, there's another fin. It goes deeper and it's wider, and it's called the center board or the dagger board. And the word that the Lord was sharing, and I feel like he wants to share again today, is that his word is to be the dagger board in our life, that center board. So when a storm rises or the winds come and there is no center board, imagine that's chopped off, the top of the boat can get pushed sideways across the top of the water. But that center board, when it goes down deep, it's the thing that holds the boat on course and keeps it from drifting or sliding across the top of the water. Does that make sense? I feel like the Lord is saying his word is that center board in our lives. I'm just trying to think how the Lord wants to organize this. I have it in my notes, but I'm trying to hear him as I'm going, so give me some grace. (laughs) Uh, So this this is where he's calling us. He's actually calling us into a place of deeper waters. He's calling us into a place of knowing him more, experiencing him more, pouring out more of his spirit in this house, in our lives. But there's also a maturity that he's calling us to in that. We've talked about it. I love, um, you already hit on it a little bit. I love our times, 8.15 to 9.15, I'm pointing back here. Behind this wall is our prayer room. And it's kind of the, the locker room beforehand. And I feel like, If you got to be back there, you already heard this message once. The Lord was confirming and reconfirming this message through so many of you that have already been praying back there. Um, But he is just calling us into a new season. So uh, I love it when the Lord does that. He's so good. We can take that down for now. There's um, another thing that I wanted to share with you. The other picture, and I'm going to go back to the reference, the center board in our lives and just some of the other uses that it has. But first, we're going to talk about the other 
thing that the Lord is doing currently, and it's the shaking that's going on. There is a shaking that the Lord's allowing to happen in his mercy. He's doing it in our lives. The picture that he gave me a couple Tuesdays ago in our staff room was, and I tell you this story so it sticks in your mind, is the idea that um, he is intentionally shaking the fruit in our lives to let it drop so that we can see what it's revealed. When my mom was a kid, they had a pecan tree, pecan tree in their backyard. I told you guys this. Some of you were here, some of you weren't. And her dad, they were little kids. They couldn't reach the the pecan, the fruit of the tree. So he would take a sledgehammer and hit the tree to force it to drop the fruit prematurely so the kids could get it and eat it. I feel like what the Lord is saying, he is intentionally hitting the... the, trunk of our trees in our lives to reveal the fruit that it we're growing and what we're putting our efforts and our time into as a gift, as a, a calling. It's actually an invitation. So if we're willing to come in humility and examine what we're growing in our lives, he can redirect our course and get us back on course with his word, with his spirit, with each other. And, um, and we can kind of continue in, in the way of holiness, in the way that he's calling us to walk. Does that make sense? Okay. I want to tell you one more thing, because I kind of got out of order there. I want to tell you one more thing about the center board. There's a couple things that I didn't talk about. I was reading up. I was like, Lord, I feel like there's more to this idea of a center board in our life. There's the, the sword of the spirit, or a, like a dagger, right? A dagger is a sword but it's called a dagger board in a boat. It splits the hole down the middle. It goes straight through the middle of the boat, and that's what sets that course. But if the boat were to tip over, does anybody fail? I like to, okay, y'all know this then. I used to go sailing on a little three-person boat with my brother who's older and knew what he was doing. He would like to put the dagger board all the way down, catch as much wind as possible, and you start to lean the boat. Y'all have seen this, right? And then they call, I can't even remember what they call it. What, what's it when you lean way out? Yeah, you hike out on the back of the boat to counter the effect of the wind on the sail, right? But the dagger board underneath the boat is also countering the weight. So you're picking up speed, you're hiking out, you're leaning. Well, he would be controlling the sail, which is really telling you how much tension is holding on that sail and what the hull, the bottom of the boat, is going to do. And he would feel himself lose the, the tension in the sail just enough where the sail's doing this. It's not here anymore. It's hitting the tipping point. Tipping point. And it, it capsizes. It doesn't capsize. It goes all the way into the water, right? So my brother knew. He, he knew this was coming. And the trick when you're smiling, sailing a small boat is as it begins to go over, you can run up. Because you're hiking out, you can flip, go over the boat, and stand on the centerboard that's now sitting out of the water. And you can stand there, you don't even get wet. So he would do this all the time to me, and I'd fall in the water, okay? But <laughs> the beautiful thing about the centerboard, and catch this in the spirit, the centerboard, you can stand on the centerboard to correct the boat and get it back upright, okay? So the word of the Lord is so strong in our lives, and when we mess up, when we're going forward, and we go too far, we miss it, We think we've got the wind of the Spirit, whatever. And we take it all the way too far, and we end up in the water. We can stand on that that dagger board, the word of the Lord in our 
life, and it can right us again, and it set us back on course, okay? All right. Thank you, Jesus. So it's a fun story, and it's, I had a lot of fun experiences on boats. All right. Let me think here. Okay. So as we're going into deeper waters, it's actually an invitation to step into maturity. We heard that already. But there is an invitation and a calling and actually um, a necessity that we have in our lives to step into maturity in, with the w- Lord and in the Word. So as we go out into these deeper waters, that's the, isn't my husband great? He made that for me. I love that. Thank you. You're so sweet. <sighs> Acts of service is one of my love languages because, you know, as moms, you're doing a lot of stuff, so you, you love it when people help you out. All right, so that's a side note in case you want to know that about me. All right, so God's calling us into deeper waters, and he wants to pour out into our lives and into the church family an increase. He has an increase that he wants to pour out in this house. And the reason he's calling us into these deeper deeper waters is that there's another level of blessing, and there's an acceleration of the advancement of the kingdom coming. So hear this, that he has a desire to increase and accelerate the advancement of his kingdom. And the requirement for that to happen is for us to walk in greater maturity if we're going to go where he's calling us to go. All right? So what do we need as we're going forward in what God's calling us? It starts with an M. Maturity. Oh, I love this. You guys are doing great. Okay. Where are we? I'm just checking the time. I feel like there's a lot I could share, but I'm trying to listen as I'm doing this to what I need to share. The confirmation of this comes in this idea of Ezekiel 47, and I'm just going to read an excerpt of this. It's a long um, set of verses. It's 1 through 12, but I'm not reading all of that. Hear this as you're thinking about a new pouring, outpouring of the Spirit, a revival that's coming, listen to these words. And this is um, in Ezekiel 47. He's having a dream, and, and he's encountering the Lord. And it says, In my vision, the man brought me to the entrance of the te- temple, or a place of worship, And I'm skipping and summarizing. At the entrance, I could see water flowing out through the gateway or the entrance. And then this man, he goes through and measures the water. And it's increasingly deep. First, it's ankle deep. Y'all know a lot. A lot of you know this. Then it's knee deep. Then it's waist deep. Then it's too deep to stand and you begin to swim. You're in deep waters. So think the pouring out of the Spirit. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. So think about the Dead Sea being those people that don't know the Lord. And as the stream goes out from his house, out from his people individually, out from us as his church body, it makes the Dead Sea full of life again. There will be streams of living things wherever this water flows. Fish, think about the 5,000. A lot of you know we've been talking about, we feel like God's calling 5,000 people back into the kingdom. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. So that's opposite of normal, right? You can't take fresh water and put it in salty water and make it fresh. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It always goes from fresh to salty. Y'all, I grew up in Florida, so we experience these things. You may not. Okay, 
Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea. That's an oxymoron. If you've been to the Dead Sea, all there is is dead. It's just dead. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. It's salt. There's no fish. There's nothing living. So if there's fishermen along the shore of the Dead Sea, there's life, right? There's new life. There's things that are growing. I love this. It says, all the way from Engedi to Eglam, I don't know where that is, the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun, and fish of every kind, think every tribe and nation, will fill the Dead Sea. So we just feel like there's this outpouring of the Spirit, there's a deeper level of the Lord, of the Lord's Spirit coming in this place and going to flow out of it. And we have the opportunity to step in and be a part of this outpouring. But there is a call that we have to have on our lives. There's a responsibility that we have in the process, which is to step into maturity. We have to step into this place of um, doing what the Lord's asking us to do. So I want to go. I'm going to start moving faster. Are you guys ready? Okay. All right. Why does he want to pour out this blessing? Why does he want to pour out his power, his presence, his favor on his children? I just want you to capture this. It's because... He wants to advance his kingdom. I said that once, but I want you to hear the reason, the why behind it. He is looking to get his family back, and he will go to any measure to do, have his children return to him, right? And we're excited about that, right? Amen? Like, we want to be back. We want everybody to be back, and like, Jesus come back, all that stuff, right? Okay. You guys are tired today. Okay. All right. Here we go. So, the first step towards maturity is repentance. I read a thing by Heidi Baker, and she said, every time there's been a move of this, a great move of the Spirit, a revival, it always began with repentance. And I want you to hear this in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. You guys know it. But it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins, restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple, this place of worship, and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. It's for his glory, isn't it? That's what he's doing. He's bringing glory to himself through us, his kids. So here that the first thing he does is they humble themselves and they repent. They got to repent, which means, do y'all know what repent means? I'm getting you. It means to turn around, right? Like to change what you're doing. Change your heart primarily, not just your actions. Okay, there's a warning that Jesus gives to those that don't repent. And I'm going to go through it real quick, but this is serious, so we don't want to take this lightly. Matthew 11, 20, 23 through 26 says this, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they had not repented of their sins and turned to God. (laughs) He said this, You people of Capernaum, Will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off for you on judgment day. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Listen to his prayer. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike, the humble, is how I wrote that. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So Jesus begins to show that it is those that aren't repentant, which is, think, proud heart, that are not going to enter his kingdom. 
and it's those repentant, the humble, the ones that turn that are going to enter his kingdom. Okay? Okay, good. <laughs> I like it better when we interact. Okay. So the second step, the next thing to walk into this maturity, and this is really what we're landing on. Mike already spoke about it today. It's humility. This is where we really feel like the Lord is asking us to go. Lord, we just thank you for your heart, that you represent humility, that you walk it out. In Jesus' name. Mike and I were talking about humility, and I said, you know, the hard thing about humility that I think it's more caught than taught, it's more seen, lived out than read in a book and exercised in our lives. It's very not, it's not easy to walk in humility. And I said, it's very sad because the people that are the most famous in our world today wouldn't necessarily get pegged as humble, right? Like our athletes, our politicians, um, leaders of various corporations, would, humble would not be their first descriptive, probably. So I'm just saying. Humble, I'm just going to give you a quick definition, is one who depends on the Lord rather than on themselves. It's being God-reliant rather than self-reliant. C.S. Lewis said it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So that kind of helps, like, put it in perspective. Always have our time. Lord, what's it look like? We know Jesus is the perfect example. I want to just give you a couple quick things. This is why, um, why humility. Why, do we, why does the Lord ask us to walk in humility? James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud. Okay, so he is opposing means basically to turn your back on, right? We don't want that. We want the Lord. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the Lord's mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Um, as I was asking the Lord about, how do, I, how, do, well, how do we teach on humility, Lord? I mean, like, like, do you get on your knees to teach on humility? I don't even feel qualified to teach on humility because you, you're like, you have to, like, do it first, Lord. <laughs> I don't think I have humility figured out. So have, have that in mind as I teach this. Proverbs, um, Proverbs 29, 23 says this, Pride ends in humiliation, but humility brings honor. So I love this that it sets it up because we know and we can't argue with the fact that pride and humility are opposites, Right? So the thing about pride is it's a tricky one. You can't always figure out that you have pride. It's not easy to just be like, oh, yeah, I've, I've got pride in my heart because pride hides pride, right? Like, I don't have pride. That's pride. If I say I don't have pride, then I'm prideful. There's this saying that says, I love it. I tell my husband all the time, pride is like bad breath. Everyone knows you have it but you. So <laughs> when you're thinking about pride, remember this. Okay, so we need to humble ourselves. All right. Uh, that's just a funny one to help you remember what we're talking about. There's a few examples. I asked the Lord, okay, so what do we, how do we, let's talk about pride so we can spot pride in our lives. There's three kings that he ruled in the Old Testament 
walked in pride, and were humbled. And they fulfilled the promise of the Lord. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those that don't follow the way of the Lord will be humbled. I'm going to go through these really quickly. And so hold on, because I want the, to really rest on the end of this message. Okay? Okay. So King Nebuchadnezzar is my first example. Let me just check one thing. I wanted to share one other thing, and I think it's on my other... Yeah. Before I get into King Nebuchadnezzar, one thing I wanted to say about pride is that there's, we all have character flaws, right? Does anyone have a character flaw? We're talking about pride. Oh, good, good. Yes, we all have character flaws. Um, I was thinking, Lord, you know, what's one of my less serious character flaws? And so my husband has been gracious to point them out at times and (laughs) help me grow in my humility. But one of my character flaws, I don't know if it's a character flaw. It probably is. I tend to leave drawers open in our house quite a bit. Like, um, yeah, someone's smiling at me going, yeah, I know that character flaw. Um, and I don't know why I do it. I feel like I don't like the banging noise as things like cabinet doors close and they, you know, you, you flip them, they like, I, I'm a little sensitive to that or something. Or I might think it's more handy to have it open because I'm coming back eventually. <laughs> but, but I want to say, like, we all have character flaws, but my, in all seriousness, I do feel like pride is one of the most serious character flaws that we really want to hone in on. Do we or do we not have pride in our lives? We can start with Satan in the beginning, and something caused him to fall from heaven like lightning, right? And that was pride. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshiped, right? And that sent him a long, long ways. So I just want to say that the, the weight on this walking in humility is because when we miss this, it gets us way off course. It can really derail our lives. So that's why I feel like there's such a weight on what the Lord wants to release. Three quick examples just so that we can... Do y'all like to make your own mistakes or learn from other people's mistakes? I always go for number two. Let someone else make the mistake. Watch them fall on the ice first. Don't go that way. Come in the church. That happened like five times already this morning. I'm sure you all know. So take a different route, right? We're going to go a different route than these three kings. Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel 5, there's a quick summary of his life. If you could hang on, I'm going to read it to you because there's some impact in the way this is written. This was about Nebuchadnezzar's life, but it's being spoken to Nebuchadnezzar's son. So hold on for this. He, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, wants to know what's been written on the wall. You guys have seen, you've heard the story, the handwriting on the wall, right? He's like, what, what does that mean? I'll get, and the son says, I'm going to give you all kinds of gifts if you can interpret this. Daniel says, keep your gifts or give them to someone else. I will tell you what the writing means, your majesty, the most high God gave. <laughs> your majesty, the most high God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, your dad, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that the people of all the races and nations and language trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill. He spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But, but, this is Daniel 5, about 23. When his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, 
He had a hardened heart, the NIV says. He was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory, and he lost the kingdom. He was the greatest ruler of his time. I want you to hear one thing before we keep going. He was brought down from his throne, his royal throne. He was stripped of his glory, and he was remo- his kingdom was removed from him. Take a minute and think of Jesus, who humbled himself unto death, and he was put on a throne. He was robed in glory, and he was given the kingdom. The Bible is constantly showing us the two opposites of the worldly way and the kingdom way. Do you see that? Daniel keeps going in Daniel 5.22. Therefore, you are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, all this about your dad. He knew this story. He lived this story out. Yet you have not humbled yourself. You have, and I skipped a verse, you have not honored the God who gives you breath of life and controls your destiny. And that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom of age of 62. The reason I included the second portion of that passage was that when we have an understanding of something that's happened in the kingdom, we also have a responsibility to steward it. Belshazzar had watched his father make a mistake, fall from glory, and actually be restored. Nebuchadnezzar was restored once he humbled himself. But Belshazzar refused to take that understanding and what he had watched the Lord do and acknowledge it in his own life. And he was not restored. He was left without a kingdom. It was taken over. So we have a weight. When something's given to us in the kingdom, we as a church family, we are being entrusted with more and more all the time. But we have a level of maturity that we're being called to walk in so that we steward what we've been given. Does that make sense? Okay, real quick, number two, Pharaoh. Y'all know the story. Pharaoh had a hardened heart. I'm going to go real quick through him. He would not release the Israelites to go and worship God. And Exodus 10.3 sums it up. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of heaven, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? The pride of Pharaoh caused his heart to be hardened. The first five times he hardened his heart, and then the Lord continued to use that to harden him to, to show his own glory as he took the Israelites out of Egypt. It's so important that we realize that a hard heart is something that di- directly leads us to that point of pride. And pride leads us to not to hear, but to being humbled, Right? You all know this. This isn't revelation, but there's a weight on it because the Lord wants to gift us with something like he's gifting these kings of the Old Testament. He says, you learn from their example because what I have to give to you, I expect you to carry. Does that make sense? Okay. I can't say it again, Rab. I don't know what I just said. Just kidding. All right. There's an interesting contrast I want you to see. Pharaoh and Moses. Pharaoh was one of the most proud people. He was ruler, and he lost his kingdom. He's completely humbled. Moses, it says, the Bible says he was, Numbers 12, 3 says, Moses was a very humble man, more so than any other man on the face of the earth. 
And Moses was the one that was chosen to lead God's people out. He was, as we know, sort of a representation, a precursor of Jesus, the most humble one coming and saving God's people from slavery, right? And then Jesus comes, the most humble one, saving all of mankind from slavery to sin, right? Isn't that awesome? I love it. It's it's so simple. The word's so simple. All right. I have good news someone needs to hear this. Oh, wait. Hold on. Don't? No? I'm listening to my coach on the front row. Um, Listen to this. I wanted to share this one verse about hardened hearts because Pharaoh had a hard heart. Matthew 13, 10 through 13, and verse 15. These are not on slides, so just listen to me. His disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to people? He replied, You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For the hearts of these people are hardened or dull or calloused, and their ears cannot hear, their eyes have closed, so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and be healed. Ooh, doggy. So we want not, we don't want those hardened hearts. We want the humility, the softened, the Lord come into our heart. So that's why I prayed, Lord, let our hearts hear this message this morning. Not just our minds. Let our hearts hear this so they can be softened and, and weighed and say, okay, is it found lacking? Let me get low. And this is the last one on the kings. I just wanted to hit this quickly. King Ahab, someone needs to hear this. King Ahab made a lot of mistakes. This is the summary. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He urged on by his wife Jezebel. He behaved like the vilest manner, in the vilest manner, by going after idols like the Amorites. Ahab was the most evil king recorded, at least according to the scriptures. But when, so, so the prophet came and told him, look, you're doomed, you're going to destruction. But in 1 Kings 20, 27, it says, when King Ahab heard the, word, the words of the Lord, he tore his clothes, or rending your clothes, he put on sackcloth and fasted or humbled himself. I love that fasting is part of humbling yourself. So that we've been doing 21 days of fast so far, we're all in this place of coming humbly before the Lord. So I feel like, okay, Lord, you already got us on track. We're fasting. We're giving up something to get ourselves low before you. But even when we've messed up big time, I think it's really important to hear, like, even the most evil kings, we still have the opportunity to turn. We still have the opportunity to correct our way, to humble ourselves before the Lord, and he'll receive that and have mercy on us. Okay? Some of you need to hear that. All right. Jesus. Do we like to talk about Jesus? I love it when you guys talk, so we got to talk a little more. There's two, two main verses that I felt like the Lord wants us to take on and hold on to as walking in humility. The first one, you all know it. I think it's on a slide, Matthew 11, 28 through 29. And I cut 29 off on purpose so that you can focus in on the end of it. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. 
I want you to pay attention to that word learn here. It's not just like read the word and know it. Don't put it just in your mind. We actually have to step out and, and put the yoke, put something on. We're actually walking in this way of humility. We're putting on the things of the Lord. We're learning. And just as I think Ray was praying earlier, Lord, keep us like little children. The indicator of pride, do y'all, do y'all have, does anyone have interaction with kids in their lives? Anybody? Everybody? Do you know, we have this happen in our house sometimes where, you know, I, I call one of my children and I say, let me, can I explain something to you about what you're doing wrong real quick? There's the error over here. There's something that needs to be, that shouting and hitting is not working for us in our house. And my kids, do you ever hear this? Wait, but mom, but mom, wait, but mom, let me tell you, just let me tell you what I, I just, let me, let me tell you what happened. Can I just tell you, can I just tell you what I was doing? I just want to tell you. They already know they're in trouble, right? But it's that like, but wait, let me tell you why I was right, right? Wait, let me tell you why I was right. Let me tell you why I did it. I feel like there's that um, unwillingness to learn is a really good indicator of pride. Does anybody else think that? If we're not willing to learn from somebody, if we're not like, you know what, I got this. Yeah, I don't need your help on that spreadsheet. I've got to figure it out. I know what I'm doing. You know, I mean, like, or anything like that. Like, don't help me, don't help me. And usually we as adults, we're not as good at learning. The kids are actually a little better. Like, you throw kids on ice skates. I don't know, I'm just thinking of some. And, like, they're like, oh, somebody help me, you know. And they're flying all around. They're flipping. They're like, help, what do I do? How do I stand up? How do I move forward? They're ready to learn, right? But we, as we get better at something, you ever feel like you got really good at something? I feel like there's things that I'm like, I'm pretty good at. I played a lot of tennis. I'm like, I kind of know. I don't kind of know how to play tennis. I don't need anybody telling me what to do, right? But we have to be careful because as we step into something and we get better at following the Lord or we get better at whatever it is, pride has more room to grow in that area of our life, doesn't it? As we get good at something, it's, we have to watch out. We were talking about King Solomon. And as he was the wisest man, yet he didn't finish well. So what happened? What is it? I do, I do think pride is such a big trap. It's from the enemy. He sows it into us, doesn't he? Okay. So we got to be like kids. Not like kids like, you can't tell me what I did wrong. Childlike that we're consistently willing to learn from the Lord and from each other and from his word, right? Okay. All right. I wrote it this way. Being humble isn't just knowing the playbook. It's not just like going out on, you know, you're on the football field or basketball or whatever, I don't know, whatever sport you play. And you're like, oh yeah, I know this play. I totally know how to do that play. You actually have to get out and do the humble thing. You don't just like, oh, I read the verse about being humble. He's like, no, 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 you got to walk in humility. You got to walk the way I walked. Good? Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Is this one you read already? You already took my thunder on this one, I think. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each, of the, to each to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is the mindset he's had. I'll just read this to you quickly. 
Jesus, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. We get to be nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, okay, he's a son. He is the firstborn son. He is the highest son. We get to be co-heirs with him, but Jesus is first. And he is what? He's servant. He's the servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so I love therefores because there's good news. So he died on the cross. We get to follow his example. God, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love this, that he became obedient even unto death. So humility looks like walking in obedience too, doesn't it? I love that. That's a simple one. If we're not ready to walk in obedience, we've probably got pride operating in our life. Obedience to the Lord, just for clarification. Okay, I'm losing you guys. I don't know. We're going to have to get a story going on. Okay, one thing I just want to note to you all here, when we self-promote, when we build ourselves up, we're limited to the things that we can accomplish in our own power. The Lord says, if you'll humble yourselves, let me exalt you. When we humble ourselves, we can be exalted to places we can never get to on our own. So when, like Mike said last couple weeks ago, what we build, we have to maintain. What we put on, we have to carry. If we let the Lord do that, if we take his yoke, if we put on his yoke, he can exalt us, and then we're just carrying what he's given, nothing that we've created. Does that make sense? Okay. One of the really clear contrasts, and I'm almost finished, we're going to finish up here, a really stark contrast, and as I was walking through this, just hear my heart in this, there's two side, a side-by-side example of pride and humility, and it's when Jesus was hanging on the cross. It's Jesus beside two criminals, right? Two thieves, it says. One of them says, if you're the Savior, save yourself. And the other one says, don't you know we deserve to be here, and he's done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and listen to this humility. He says, I know I was wrong. He doesn't say it like that. But today, remember me in paradise. And Jesus says to this one, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you see pride versus humility? It's so clear. One's going up and one's going down. We do not want to walk in that place of pride. It's just, it's a trap. And I say this as the heart of a mama of this house. I want to see you guys do well. I want to see you thrive. I want to see you lifted up and carrying the things of the Lord, running with his torch, running in all that he's given for you. But the biggest trap is this pride, thinking we, we got it figured out. We don't have it figured out, you guys. None of us do, but we get to go low. It's a gift. It's like the, the Bible says, like the camel going through the eye of the needle, the opening that's so small the camel had to get on its knees to get through this small little opening after dark when a town was closed. It's like that. It's like Jesus going so low 
that he died and then was exalted. So we have to die to ourselves, right? And that's, that's just getting rid of pride. It's just dying to yourself. That's no big deal. No problem. We all got that figured out. All right, we're finishing up. Last thing. When I was talking through this, um, I love, we have a great group of speakers that we get to, our speaking team, they get to help us as we go through it. We were talking together, and I, I was asking them, I said, what is it that makes pride operate in our lives? Like, why is it that I want to be right? Does anyone else ever want to be right? Yeah, people want to, why do we want to be right? And I felt like the Lord said, well, we want to be right because it helps us feel more valuable, right? Like, I feel good when I'm right. Like, that's nice. I like to be right. Right. But it also, it, um, it puts us above the other person, right? It's like I'm elevating my status. Like, you're wrong, and I'm right, right? So it's like a self-elevating thing. Oh, yeah, I know this. I've got this, right? And I felt like the Lord said, we go to that place when we don't know our identity. We have to try to find our value in being right. Pride helps, tries to help establish a value for ourselves, and we only do that when we don't really have clarity that we're a son and a daughter. If we can get that settled with the Lord, then we're doing well. Listen to this last verse that I want to share with you. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. John 13, 3 through 5 says, Jesus knew, listen to what he knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his feet. All things under his power, excuse me. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When we can understand whose we are and where he has us seated with him in heavenly places, I just feel like if I can get that, I won't struggle as much with trying to prove myself or having that pride in my life or trying to build myself up. It'll be a little easier to go low because I, I already know what he has set for me. I already know what he says about who I am. I don't have to prove it to myself. I don't have to prove it to someone else. He already said it. It's finished. He said I'm a daughter. It's awesome. Sometimes we said this and one of our amazing, one of you amazing people shared this a lot of times we feel like it's about being right, and Mike shared it a little bit in prayer. It's not about being right. It's about being holy. He's calling us to holiness, and holiness looks like obedience, not just on the outside. Jesus said, they're like whitewashed tombs, those that do the things and don't have it in their heart. Our heart needs to bow, and our self needs to bow. As we close, I'm just going to ask you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes. I just 
there is a wait while I was preparing this. I don't always do it, but I just want to give an invitation. The first step of walking out of that place of pride is saying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you. God, we are so thankful for your gift of your son. We're thankful that we get to remember it through this communion that we did this morning. And with every head bowed this morning, I just want to invite, this is an open invitation. If anyone just says, I haven't been there yet, or I was there and I turned away, and I'm asking for the mercy of God to come back to you, Lord. If that's you this morning, if you're saying, I want to humble myself, I've been wrong, I've been out of line, and I want to make that repent movement, I want to turn back to the Lord. If you'll raise your hand, I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Yeah, if that's you guys, thank you so much. It's, it's, the, it's the heart, but the, the hand is that action. It's that way that we say, yeah, Lord, I want to go low. I'm going to get low. If you feel like, if you're willing to change your posture just now, just to show your repentance, and you just pray this with me. This is for all of us, I think. Let's just pray it in our heart this morning. I know oftentimes we do it out loud. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he went so low to die a criminal's death. God, I thank you that he died for me. I thank you that you forgive my sin. I thank you you made a way in the darkness. Lord, we humbly come before you and we say we need you, Lord. I let go of pride. I let go of the things that I think I've done to deserve this. And I say, Lord, it's all about you. Clean me up. Set me back on that place right next to your son. Let me walk as your servant, just as Jesus did. Let me get low before you, Lord. We give you thanks. God, we thank you this morning that you touch our hearts, that you want to see us carry this outpouring of your spirit. You long to see your kingdom grow and expand, and you are accelerating your movement on this earth because your passion is stoked like a fire. God, we say we will go low. We will step into humility, that we can walk this well, that we can carry this gifting of your spirit well. We want to carry you as that life, that hope, that fresh water that turns a desert into a garden. God, we thank you this morning for those that raise their hands. I thank you for the repentant hearts, the ones that are turning and humbling. And we say, yes, Lord, we want you. We want more of you. Bring it to mind. Help us remember when we have bad breath, God, and get that pride out of there so we can get low. God, we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right. Thank you, guys.